Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. How do you feel about your hair? I love my hair. Mm-hmm. What do you love about it? I love how easy it is to manage. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I have dreadlocks, so... Mm-hmm. I love how at one with nature it makes me feel. Mm-hmm. You know the um, the plant goddess Tefiti in Moana has dreadlocks. <laughs> I did not know. I didn't. I well, at least I wasn't aware of it. Okay. Do you like seeing people on on like TV and other people that have locks? Mm-hmm. Because we're out there. We're everywhere, we're everywhere. and we're coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm your host, Nalika Radway, and this is Raising Rebels, a podcast about oppressed parents raising free children. Today on Raising Rebels, we're going to be discussing hair and how we help our black children navigate predominantly white spaces with their kinks, their curls, their afros, their textures, and all of their locks. Today, we are joined by Allegra White, thinker, mother, doula. Welcome, Allegra. Hello. Thanks for having me. (laughs) And we're joined by her sister friend, uh, Elisa. Hi. Can you, so I don't want to mess up your name, right? Like you've told me and I've tried and I just, I will feel so incredibly shitty if I mess it up. So please tell us your name. So my full name is Alisa Shi Ami Nutakor. Lovely. Say it again. It's so we know. <laughs> Alisa Shi Ami Nutakor. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you both for coming. I'm so excited to talk to both of you today. Let's start with how are you feeling right now? Excited. Excellent. How are you feeling, Allegra? Mm, a little nervous. Nervous. <laughs> I am feeling, let me think, how am I feeling right now? I'm feeling like, like curious. Like this is like like conversations about here is one that I feel like I'm having all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just know that it's gonna be something new in this room today. So I'm really feeling curious and excited. Today we're gonna be talking about here and how we prepare our black children to exist in predominantly white spaces with their kinks, their curls, their locks, their braids, their froze, their textures, things I don't even know, terms that are coming out, um, all of those things. And I think before we start, I want you to both share a little bit about yourselves. My name is Elisa. I was born and raised on Roosevelt Island, and that's relevant, and I'll talk to you a little bit about Roosevelt Island at some point, hopefully. But I've been living in Brooklyn for the past 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a psychotherapist. I have been a school administrator for many years. Um, and I'm a mom of two boys, uh, Nathaniel, who's three, and Dean, who's one. He just turned one a week ago. Yeah. I even, I don't think I've ever met anybody who's grown up on Roosevelt Island. Well, here I am. I am so, like, I, can't, I don't even know where to start. I don't even know how to do with that. Like, I'm like, trying, my, my brain is trying to do the calculations right now. I don't, I don't even know what that means. So, Allegra, tell us a little bit about yourself. 
So my name is Allegra White. I am the mother of five girls, 17, 13, five-year-old twins, and a one-year-old also. Um, I'm also a doula, and I was born and raised in Brooklyn. Okay, not quite the truth. I was born in Queens, (laughs) but that was the only association that I would like to make with Queens. Don't act that way. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't, don't act that way. Don't act that way. I am a Brooklynite. We love Queens. We love Queens. <laughs> so tell me, what is your greatest wish for your children right now? My greatest wish for my children is for them to use their voices in a positive way and to want to be heard. I really want them to understand how powerful their voice is. Mm. I want my boys to be um, like confident enough to be impactful in the world and to and have enough context about the world to like want to impact things, mm-hmm. but also like be able to be happy in that context. That's like my biggest fear that like all of the things that we think about and are scared about and whatever are going to prov- like be a bad like I just want them to be happy Mm. and so Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. so in preparation for today's conversation I asked guests to do a recollection and the point of doing the recollection is like out of respect for our children but also to get us in touch with our childhood selves because many times when we think about parenting we're thinking about like what we're doing as the parent versus what it feels like to be the child and so when I was thinking about um my own hair and what I've learned about my hair and how I've been socialized to think about my hair. So much of it is around control and learning how to control my hair. Um, All these products that are marketed to black women are about like getting your your hair, your locks Mm -hmm. to do the exact same thing. And it made me think about this idea of like wanting to have control. And so I asked both of you to think of a memory of a time where you felt like you needed to have control and whether or not you were able to get that control or not. Mm -hmm. Um, So tell me what comes to mind for you. Who would like to start? So, you know, when you asked that, I was It stressed me out. (laughs) And I'm sure that my need for control is connected to how stressed I was about that. Mm -hmm. And so I started asking the people in my life, like, do you remember a time? Like, so I asked my mom and I was like, I can't think of like a time where I felt this need for control. And she's like, what? (laughs) Like, (laughs) she's like, our whole relationship has been defined by your need for control. And I'm like, oh. That's interesting. I never really felt like that so strongly. And so Mm -hmm. one of the things she started pointing at, like she listed off like all of these things that stood out to her. And one of the things that she described was um, me like refusing to go to soccer. She I was I was five. Roosevelt. So Roosevelt Island is interesting place has a soccer league. Roosevelt Island, especially at that time, it's different now, but Mm -hmm. especially at that time had more green space than like almost anywhere in uh, the city. And so I was part of the Roosevelt Island Soccer League. And so she pointed to me like refusing to go to soccer as like the an, an example of this need for control that I had. Um, I didn't remember that in that way. But I did I did have this memory connected to um connected to soccer. And so it was uh we were gonna have a big game. I was on the red team. Each team was a different color. There was like the red team, the blue team, the yellow team. I was on the red team. There was a big game and I was excited about it. And so the memory is us walking to the game. 
And I was like devastated. And I was devastated because it was cold outside. And so my mom made me wear a whole sweatsuit under my soccer uniform. Like I had to wear sweatpants and a, and a hoodie under my soccer uniform. And I thought it was ridiculous. I looked stupid. I pictured myself like running and being like athletic and like, you know, playing re- soccer really well. And like, this was not part of the image, right? Like this whole sweatsuit under. Um, my mom is white, my dad is black. So I have that like, you know, I was that child that like, what is this white woman doing with this baby's hair, right? Mm-hmm. Like I was that kid. Mm-hmm. So we got to the point where my mom cut it off. So I had this like short little afro, I was five years old. Um, and you know, when I look back now to this five-year-old with this afro, I'm like, oh, it was cute, but it did not feel that way to me mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. And I looked like a little boy. I thought I looked like a little boy. And I remember in soccer, like sitting with the boys, like like because like that's what I looked like. And um, so the sweat, the, the whole sweatsuit outfit helped me to look more like a boy, I thought. Like I really had this need to not wear it. And I was like going so hard about like why I shouldn't have to wear this whole sweatsuit under this outfit. The need didn't get met. I had to wear it. My mom was like, no. And so, yeah, that was the that was my memory about that. Thank you for sharing, Allegra. So when I think when I thought about the recollection, um, a lot of things came to mind. Specifically, my parents, my the culture, right? My parents. I grew up with West Indian parents, who were very very strict. I grew up in this big, beautiful red brick house. And um, it had like, if you can picture like Tourette's like on a castle, it had like the round part on the side of a castle. It had those. And because I had these strict parents, I was always the little girl in the window um, looking out at all the other kids play. And they didn't really let me go out. They controlled who I spoke to when I went out, if I had any extracurricular activities, you know, what I would do. And I would see all the neighborhood kids playing and hanging out and just being free in that way. I remember growing up, because I didn't really go out like that and um, do things like the other neighborhood kids were doing, I didn't really learn to ride a bike until, okay, I didn't start to learn to ride a bike until I was older. Mm -hmm. And so I remember being 12 years old and my father deciding to buy me this bike. It was like purple, which was my favorite color at the time, and all the the gear, the helmet, the pads, and all that stuff. Like, okay, you're big, you need to figure this out now. And where we lived, the house was right next to an apartment building, and so I already had this weird dynamic with my neighborhood and the kids in my neighborhood because I was the girl in the Tourette, like always looking longingly out the window and whose parents were, um, you know, really strict. And they had this idea about who I was. And so this one day that I remember specifically, my dad decided, you're going to learn how to ride this bike. We went outside to the driveway. And, you know, he starts trying to teach me to ride the bike. And I just remember the kids coming to the window, these kids that I was familiar with in the neighborhood, coming to the window and watching me learn And my dad was screaming at me as he was trying to instruct me on, you know, the right way to balance the bike and all of that stuff. They started to come to the window and I was becoming more and more embarrassed by their presence. And then the fact that he was screaming. And then I was also this 12 year old girl who didn't know how to ride a bike. And everyone already had that kind of freedom. 
And um, it got to the point where I would just push the bike down. I was like, I've had enough. And I walked away. And to this day, I don't know how to ride a bike. Mm. And so I thought about this in co- in the context of this recollection mm-hmm. because the idea of getting on a bike is about having control about balance is about having control and that was I felt like that was taken away from me the opportunity to figure that out on my own Mm -hmm. and now as an adult like having to face that it's hard for me like to figure out how to let someone else kind of guide me in that process Mm -hmm. um, when I feel like I was failed in that process before. Mm -hmm. And then I also thought about it in terms of my father or my parents rather controlling my narrative in the neighborhood, you know, how the other kids saw me um, as this like stuck up girl that was in this house that couldn't come out and she was too good to play with us Mm -hmm. when I would have loved to go out and hang out with them, Mm -hmm. you know, and then it was compounded by being in the driveway and, and that visual of them seeing me struggle as this big girl Mm -hmm. trying to ride this bike Mm -hmm. at this age you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and so thank you for sharing I mean both of your stories trigger so much in my mind of things that I hadn't thought about when I was thinking about the recollection for myself and similar um Alisa, when you said your mom's like, what are you talking about? You all, and I was I didn't think of that like Mm -hmm. I it was hard for me even though I gave the recollection to come up with a time where I felt control. So I started as an adult and then like pushed myself backwards. Mm -hmm. And what I came to was when I, the recollection that kind of stood out to me around control was actually around food. And so when I, as long as I can remember, when we had a half a day at school, my little sister and I would walk, on our walk home would stop at the bodega. And we stopped at the bodega and we always got one ham and cheese sandwich, a bag of chips, I don't really think we got soda. I think we got two quarter waters. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who do not know what a quarter water (laughs) is, please Google it. Um, I can't say much more. And then also (laughs) we would get these like um, rectangular shaped chocolate cake things that had icing and like chocolate in in the middle. Anyway, we loved it. So we would get that thing. And I think a total it cost us maybe five bucks, maybe Mm -hmm. even less than that. Maybe it was $4, something like that. We had just enough to like hit the thing. And when we got home, we would sit in front of the TV and I would set up like a picnic for my sister and I, and I would split everything in half, like half the chips, the sandwich in half, um, and just set it up. And I, it had to look a particular way. Mm-hmm. I gave, you know, like it was in my brain right now, I was like, what the heck mm-hmm. was, why was it so important to me? But there was no way we could both like just put our hands and get yeah. the chips that we wanted. Like, no, you had to have your pile and I have my pile and we're gonna sit and we're gonna have this experience watching um, TV. And it made me think like when I got it all set up, I had the control, like I, you know, I did the thing. I felt such a sense of accomplishment. I was like, I've done it. I've made it. We we can we can eat now. Um, we can go and watch a TV show now. Um, and I was thinking as I was processing that memory was when I get my hair to do the thing I want it to do, I have that same sense and feeling of accomplishment. You know, like, like when it is like laid right and the curls are like happy. I was like, yes, I can I can do it. I can go out in the world. And then when it doesn't do the thing, when I, I can't control it or I can't have the sense of control, I feel so um, like just like 
disheveled, like just messy. It's like it could be a small thing, right? Like in retrospect, it could be a small thing, like frizz or like you can't the the bobby pin isn't holding the way. But it will. It could like completely ruin my more like mm-hmm. my feeling of I walk out the house into the world. Yeah. And so I wonder for both of you, what like first? Well, first of all, what messages have you gotten around your relationship with your hair from your childhood? Yeah, let's start there. So I know for me, directly related to like my childhood, I've grown up. F- not wanting attention because of the attention that I received as a kid with with my hair. Tell I feel us more. like tell us more. I feel like um what kind of attention did you get as a kid around your hair? I just feel like it was there was a lot of the stereotypical comments about being this fair skinned girl with long hair mm-hmm. and the hair being good, you know, quote unquote, mm-hmm. and and nice. Mm-hmm. And that always making me uncomfortable. And um, I think my father liked the attention mm-hmm. that it brought. Um, and my father is lighter skin. My mom is darker skin. Mm-hmm. And so I, when I think about it in, in that way, um, you know, maybe that's, maybe he thought that the same thing that the attention the people that were giving me the attention was giving me. Um, but when I would, for example, be with my cousin who had a different grain of hair, mm-hmm. I I noticed even as a child, the type of attention my hair would give me that it wasn't, get, that people weren't really paying attention to her. Mm-hmm. And it made me feel self-conscious for her. Mm-hmm. I felt that even as a kid, you know, I don't, I didn't, I didn't like, that I was getting all this attention and that she wasn't. Mm-hmm. I had kind of the opposite experience. My hair was like something to fight with. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in the house with my mother and my grandmother was there a lot. And so they're white. It was the thing we were fighting against. Like my gran- my grandmother would say like, I like it when your hair is back like this and straight, right? And it was like, it was the thing that made me black, right? It was the thing that like reminded everybody that I was black. So I was, when, and then when I look back now, I think about the times when I hated my hair the most and which of my family members I was with during those times. Like, mm-hmm. the, like my relationship with my hair was very connected to the, to the family members that I was with. And, I, and it's, it's hard because I think that there was an attempt made for, like it would be sad for my mom to hear that that was my experience as a child. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mm-hmm. don't think that she was thoughtless, but I think that there is just something that you don't know mm-hmm. as a white woman raising a black child. And so and so what would happen is I would wear my hair in braids. So she found someone to braid my hair and I would go there and I would get my hair braided. That was resourceful. That was resourceful. That was she's like that. Su- Listen, let's look like, And if you give. meet her, <laughs> she's super resourceful. Yes. She found and so I would go there every week and mm-hmm. it ended up being this nice thing because I was able to build a relationship with mm-hmm. her and her family and we were called each other cousins and and my hair was braided until the sixth grade and I remember at my sixth grade graduation I was able to wear my hair out and that was major mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. me to be able to wear my even like to touch my own hair and to experience like to know what it felt like and what it looked like I was like to- like totally unfamiliar it was foreign to me at mm-hmm. the time like then like figuring out like I didn't know how to comb my own hair like, I didn't know I was just it was I was totally unfamiliar with it well I would say that for so many black women we don't know our own hair 
like even if we didn't have white parents, mm-hmm. you know, like just mm-hmm. this idea. I I did not know my own hair until I was in my like till I was thirty, mm. because that's when I stopped relaxing my yeah. hair, and so. You know, like this experience that you're talking about having when you were a teenager, like I was in sixth grade, you know, like sixth grade, I think I had it when I was 30 years right. old. And so there's a way like our stories and how we tell ourselves of how we relate and connect is so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think the lesson that you learned about your hair as a young person is impacting how you're parenting your children around their hair? Mm-hmm. So that's interesting because you guys have a completely different experience. Mm -hmm. I feel like I did know my hair and I was familiar with my hair because my mother made it a thing to do my hair every Sunday. I knew Sunday was wash day Mm -hmm. and I was going to get twists or braids or some sort of style for the week. And um, relatively early on, she put me in charge of my hair, maybe around 12, 11, 12. Um, I had to figure out, you know, Mm -hmm. how to to maintain it. and that's a thing for black moms. Like your kids' hair has to be neat, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you know, controlled, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like I've evolved from my eldest daughter and how I maintain her hair to how I am with my younger children. Mm-hmm. And Elisa will tell you, my 17-year-old, her hair was laid. Laid for the gods. <laughs> laid. <laughs> when I first had her, she always, her edges were done. She was snapped. Her curls had all of the product in it. I mean, she was, her hair was always neatly just, and you know, for black moms that's your your child is an extension of you mm. she's representing you mm-hmm. you know and so how you go out, go out in the world you're, you know you're not going to embarrass me mm-hmm. that's how mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. that's how my mom would say to me like you mm-hmm. can't go out looking like a ragamuffin mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and so you know for her it, it, she got the same treatment the weekly wash mm-hmm. and style probably even more often than that um and then my second daughter came along and she has different hair. Her hair is thicker than my first daughter. So I had to make sure that every week I was styling it. Well, in my mind, I was like, every week I have to style it because it would just get more tangled more easily. Mm-hmm. And now the twins, they just, <laughs> one of them, she's like, I just want to be free. Okay, go be free. No, I walked into, no, I walked into Allegra's <laughs> house. Let me just tell you, I walked in and I had, I, I had like a moment of like, how, dear Lord, there were like afros for days. <laughs> there was just like, there was like afros for days, and I was just sitting there like, first of all, this is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Second of all, what happens when you want the afro to like go yes. like that? No, I was like, I went through the whole mom thing of like. This is fantastic. And then the detangling yeah. came to my mind. Yes, there's a buildup to that. So <laughs> I have to s- mentally prepare myself listen, for wash day listen, because it is a lot. It's listen. almost like, do you remember? This is the image that always comes to my ha- my mind. Full house. They had all these daughters, right? And mm-hmm. I remember, I don't know if it was in the trailer or one of the episodes, they're sitting in a line oh, doing each other's yeah. hair. I always feel like that should be my house. <laughs> Why don't I have some sort of like assembly line of kids yes, like wait, yes. like each one doing each other's hair? Yes. No, they're waiting in line for me 
to do everything. It's it's intense. And I have to tell you, every time I found out I was having a girl, I would cry. I do yeah. not want to do any more hair. Yeah, yeah, I can't yeah, do yeah, it. Yeah, it's yeah. so much work. Well, I want to tell you, um, <laughs> so my th- I have three girls and all three of them have locks. And how I got to giving, like, go down that process was I, anyone who knows me, I'm not, I knew I was not going to be doing hair every day. Like, this was not happening. That was not going to happen. And I really was not going to mind them. Like, I wasn't going to mind them going out and, like, what people thought about it. Like, I, was, I wasn't going to do that. And the other thought that always came to me is, like, when I was a, when I was a child, this desire to have, like, flow. Do you know, like sometimes like when my, my favorite hairstyle when I was a kid was when you get your hair braided and you put beads on the end of it so that it gave it some weight. Mm-hmm, and the then you, you gave you a little like and you could do a little <laughs> flippy thing and you're, you're it's like waving. And so I knew I love both of those feelings. And so when I had um, when I had blue and then I had Moxie two years later, so I had these two girls, a lot of hair. Um, I had a friend of mine who had locks and I like reached out to her when blue turned four or something. It's like, so I'm thinking about locking blues here right now. Tell me, what do you think? She was like, do it. You know, it was like, and I don't have locks, but she was like, go ahead, do it. It's going to be great. And it has been fan. I mean, it, it's been, it's been pretty um, amazing in that I can't do it every week. But my mother, <laughs> who, who is Jamaican also, would, um, love it if I was like snatching it like mm-hmm. like that her idea of locks is like or not even like when I said that I was going to lock my like when I did it it was upheaval in my house mm-hmm. and so a lot of times when people who are not Jamaican they associate you know locks with Jamaican people like oh Jamaican people love locks that's where it comes from Jamaican people and like like just just let me let me let me let me and this is this is about my experience but you know like I said she'll 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 back me up they don't want no part of locks in their children's hair. They don't want no part of it. It is it, like it's considered to be messy and unkempt. And like, why would you do that to your child? Um, I mean, it's it's changing now. It's evolving now. But for our generation, like my parents' generation, that was a no go. So when I did, like I did it, and, and they, you know, lock their hair. It has. It's like a constant battle around. They just, they're, they love it. They're just like, we're free. Don't touch it. Don't look at our, like, we're good. And like, I think about right now how powerful it is and how positive it is that there is a celebration around natural hair and like that we're trying to embrace it. And then there's also this kind of still idealizing of what that natural yeah. hair should look like, how it should function, who's is doing the thing. It's almost like, how free can you be with your hair? And are you like, are you free enough with it? Um, and then how people are reacting and giving you feedback about it, which can be so mixed, right? Yeah. Like, so it's such a mixed bag of like how you take all of that in and how you leave all the crap out. I struggle with that word natural, though, mm-hmm. I have to tell you. Tell me. Because um, for me, well, in the birthing world, mm-hmm. right? Natural means you had a baby without any medication, right? Mm-hmm. And But I feel like in life, natural should mean more about being comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, when you give birth, it's natural because you're birthing a human being no matter how you did it. Mm-hmm. And, from, and with your hair, I'm more comfortable 
honestly, when my hair is straighter, because it's less work for me, Mm -hmm. it's less to do, it's less to think about, and I like the way it looks better. Mm -hmm. And so when I hear like natural hair and you should wear your hair natural, I'm like, well, I'm still who I am and I'm comfortable with the way I look, so that's still natural for me. Mm -hmm. Um, It's funny because earlier you were talking about your grandma, your Jamaican mother, Mm and how she receives your girls. And I have the same kind of struggle with my Jamaican family. And I was talking about my evolution and I was thinking about how, you know, my eldest was always laid and done up. And now when my girls go over to my grandmother's house, she like turns up her nose when one You're of the using twins. all the Jamaican terms. I just want to know you <laughs> using all the terms. The turn up the nurse. T- I mean, you said like ten. You okay. said like you, you said like I'm ten. I'm not even. I'm so it's so it's ingrained. In I know. I, just, I know. I know. I'm okay with also giving translation for the no, uh, we don't, the, for the it's listeners. For you, it's for you. <laughs> Go for it. Um, she, I cringed because my one of the twins has very thick, um, puffy hair. Like very big, thick, beautiful, puffy hair. That's the best way I could describe it. Mm-hmm. And she often talks about wanting her hair to be free. Mm-hmm. And so I often don't do her hair. Like I'll wash it, but I'll just let her be out in, in its state, whatever it's going to do. And my grandmother hates it when she sees it. And every time we go over there, my grandmother is, I see, I can see her taking her two hands, putting it on um, my uh, one of the twins heads and just pulling her hair into like trying to shape it into a ponytail. She doesn't have a clip. She doesn't have any kind of accessories. It's more of her way of communicating mm-hmm. that she would like for it to be, you know, tamed, so mm-hmm, to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and she she's always pulling it back, pushing, you know, and, and messing with it. And um you were talking about how the girls receive their hair. And I feel I, I feel like part of my evolution has been good to just let them be free. But then I also feel like I've failed them in some way because in the way that I knew how to do my hair when I was 12, um, they are not prepared in that way uh, that I that I was. Uh, they can't braid. I can't go to them and ask them to braid my hair. Um, and they wouldn't really be able to know how to maintain their hair in that way. My 13-year-old struggles with her hair. Mm-hmm. She often asks me to get her hair straightened. She's she's in ballet. So, you know, hair is a big thing for her because in ballet, your hair always has to be pulled back tightly into this bun. And I struggle with that too because I'm like, you're in this environment where they're telling you you only are a ballerina. You only are this thing if your hair looks a certain way. It's only neat in this way. And there are times when she wants braids and she wants it in a different style. And we're like, oh, you can't do that because you have ballet five days a week and it can only be in this one style. Mm. And um, so, yeah, that it while I've evolved in the way that I've looked at um, how they present themselves to the world Mm -hmm. I still feel like there's work to do in in how they continue to present themselves and how they continue to feel comfortable and it's I I think it's great that you were able to lock the girl's hair Mm -hmm. Keith would Keith is my husband Keith would love to lock the girl's hair he's talked about with every subsequent child (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> but I just, for me, I'm nervous about making that choice for them. Mm-hmm. And um, I think about what that would mean for them later. Like, will they be upset that mm-hmm, I made that decision mm-hmm. for them? Will they be happy? You know, mm-hmm. I. so I go back and forth with that. It's such a, I mean, it's such an awesome responsibility to make any choice mm-hmm. for your children. I think about like naming them, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. any anything that you do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know another, 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 <laughs> another, another day, another, another, <laughs> another day, another, but these, I, these, these things that you do, mm-hmm. um, that have lasting impact. Mm-hmm. And he, and it's interesting because the name, huge, right? And then there's other things and how you're rearing them, huge. And here is something that you can restart at any time. Mm-hmm. It, when you restart it, and I think like the idea of like cutting off all your hair as a black woman sounds like blasphemous or just like, like, like how do you come back from that if you decide to do it? Um, but this idea that you can you can start over like you can decide like how my hair looked when, when I talked about going natural it was so interesting I was like there's a way that when I was like 12 years old or 15 years or 16 years I felt like the hair I had was the hair I was always gonna have yeah. and this idea like none of that hair is on my head right now yeah. like it, it, it just that's just not gonna happen um but there is this idea of like how we make choices for our children that are around who they are right now versus thinking about down the road. And so much of being, I think, allowing them the freedom is around thinking about who they are right now and not in ignoring what's gonna happen down the road. Cause it, you know, who you are right now is going to impact what happens down the road. But there's, a, I, I think so much, I know from, I think from my parents was around how you're gonna present outside or like what's coming for you and like all of what the meaning is. And sometimes not purposefully at all and not without like, not because you don't love, not because you don't care, but to the detriment of who I am as a child in that moment. One of my number one memories about hair, though, mm-hmm. and this was funny. So we were coming back from Japan. We're still in Japan. Okay. We're taking a bus to the airport mm-hmm. for Japan. And my, my my parents, they're at the, like, more front with my sister, Gloria. Mm-hmm. And By so your parents, the, do you mean me? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you. Okay. You. Sorry. And so there's these teenage Japanese girls behind us mm-hmm. Japanese teenage boy mm-hmm. next to us who I think was with the girls okay and then we notice our hair is feeling weird so we look behind us and the teenage Japanese girls are playing with our hair are you kidding me no they're just like playing with our hair just what? like I didn't even know this happened and then we turn behind us and we wave just like really like what <laughs> Like, what's happening? And the teenage boy next to me is taking a selfie with us. No! Yes, like literally taking a selfie with us. And the girls behind us are just like, hi. And then we're just like, sure. How did it feel? It was, it was very, it was an experience. It was very weird. Mm-hmm. Did it, it feel? It was quite uncomfortable. Okay. But different from like the hair situations with white girls at my school, it didn't feel like intrusive or rude mm-hmm. it felt like a genuine curiosity mm-hmm. which i appreciated instead of the like look how weird their hair is in comparison to ours mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. it didn't feel like that it felt like a genuine curiosity because mm-hmm. i had had the explanation like oh it's not that they don't see it's not that they like see you guys and then they just want to be rude to your hair mm-hmm. 
they just don't see you guys. When it happens with um, white people, white you know girls, as you said, here it doesn't feel like curiosity. What does it feel like? It feels like racism. Tell me more. It feels like pure racism. It feels like the essence of racism. Tell me. Because I feel like partially pure racism, one, it just shows how stupid you are. Okay. And two, to me, pure racism is often the unawareness of your racism. Mm-hmm. That you just say it as if this is day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. Like touching someone's, like a black person's hair. Mm-hmm. And being like, your hair is weird because you're black. Mm-hmm. And it just feels like pure racism. Mm-hmm. Like, you're different, therefore you're less. Mm. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Does have you ever had anyone um, other like other people have opinions about what you've done with your own hair, how you should wear it? I'm so glad that you said that because mm-hmm. when you were talking about. Um, you know, when you have kids, you come face to face with who you are and like how you like want to develop and like move closer to like actualizing whatever version mm-hmm, of yourself mm-hmm, you imagined mm-hmm. with whatever. Um, it made me think about and it's like re- I'm so glad that you said that because it made me think about when I was pregnant with my first child. I was like, <laughs> I was like nine months pregnant mm-hmm. and my husband. And so, you know, like. Many black girls, I go back and forth between like sometimes my hair is straight, sometimes mm. it's curly. Like I do whatever, you know, I feel mm-hmm. comfortable with. Sometimes it's seasonal. In the winter, it's straight more. In the summer, it's curly more. Um, and so he was born in February. So, you know, it was too cold to be washing my hair three times a week. So my hair's straight. Um, and so like as we're getting closer to the due date, my husband's like... I like <laughs> remember uh, unless I'm here cracking up. I can't wait. I can't. You, I am on edge. Go ahead. So as it gets close closer to the due date, my husband's like, "I need your hair to be curl. Like, I need you to wear your hair natural." What? And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> and he's like, "And you're nine months pregnant? I'm nine T- months pregnant. Oh. Like, I'm like barely like whatever." Men are so brave. And he's <laughs> and he was like. He was like, or stupid. Like, I want like, my, like, I want my son to, for the first time he sees you. Now, those of us, our doula knows like how our kids can see mm-hmm. what a baby can see. <laughs> the first, the first, <laughs> the first time our son sees you, I want him to see that his mother is natural. No, I want her to. I want him to see you in your natural, in state. your natural state. Yes. No. And and this yes. is the birth w- that he was turning off our Beyonce while she's delivering no. and playing fella. What was he playing? He wants, he, he wants he the wants, baby to hear Fela, Fela when the baby is born. He wants drums. Sir, you have several. <laughs> have several. <laughs> no, I love it. I Wait, love it. I love it. But you didn't even preface it with the date. The thing that he goes on and on about your second date. What does he say about your hair? Do you remember? It was straight. No. No. He goes, he's up Oh, a in ponytail, arms. a yes. ponytail. Can you believe this is my second date with this girl and she came to meet me with a ponytail in her hair. 
I mean, and you guys are and you're married now. Yes. <laughs> Girl, that's another podcast. Girl, I'll be back next week for that one. <laughs> but it is interesting how is you know this idea of like how invested everyone else is around something that is so personal to you, right? And your kids right. too. Like how everyone is so invested in the choices that they're making, you're making, and no, like it's it's your choice to make. It's my choice to make. And also, like, there are all these, like, there are all these implications, all these assumptions. You know what I mean? When my, I get totally different responses when I move through the world with my hair curly versus straight. Mm. Um, People, like, respond to me in a different way. Even, like, I remember when I was younger and, like, men would approach me, different men were approaching me depending on whether my hair is curly or straight and like approaching me in different ways and like using different language. Um, So like all of these assumptions being made. Mm -hmm. And you're right to the Mm -hmm. point where you feel like I'm in labor and you want to talk to me about like my hair. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You want to talk to me about what my hair looks like. So you said you thought you had a thought about it. Yes. So my husband, bless his soul, he does not have any particular... Mm -hmm opinion that he shares openly Mm -hmm. about my hair but my mother feels very strongly about my hair so so much so that she compares it to uh samson and the bible wait say more (laughs) so um growing up my whole most of my life i had really not that i I still have long hair but my hair was um basically touching my butt Mm -hmm. uh growing up and maybe about when would you say maybe about 10 10 years years ago ago, I cut my hair to my shoulders and it has never grown back fully um, the way it was growing up and when I cut my hair my mother was so upset about it and she started talking about the story of Samson in the Bible and how his strength was in his hair and how he was not able to fight or I'm he lost all his power. Lost when all they, his power because that he Delilah. Cut his hair. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> when he cut his hair, and how could I not even think about that when I cut my hair, and how beautiful it was, and how long? And I'm like, it's still beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a choice I made. I wanted to, you know, have a change. I've had long hair in my life. I wanted to have a change, and she was very upset about mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people push back on the idea that black hair is political, like. And it so is like it, it has so much meaning for so many people. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's unfortunate that so much of that is put upon us versus what we want to put out into the world. Mm-hmm. And I do think you like you all of you've mentioned it and I'll just echo. I love the diversity of what I can do with my right. hair. Mm-hmm. I right. love like braiding it like wearing it curly, wearing it straight. Like I love, and every time I do it, there's like a different feeling that comes along with it. And and you're right. Everyone kind of has their own reaction or their own thoughts about what that means and how that works. And so I think as much as we can remember as um, really as black parents, as black mothers, like the power that we have in comparison to thinking about how they're going to react in the world and being okay with like whatever it is you choose to do. And that idea of natural is like how you feel. I mean, I love that. I like natural is like, how do you feel naturally 
about yourself and what feels good about that. Um, so I want to thank you both for coming um, and spending time with us and telling us about not just your hair journey and like how it feels, but really the truth and the struggle, right? Like it's not all it's all amazing and wonderful to have natural. That comes with a lot of work and a lot of time. And also there's no shame in like whatever you choose to do yeah. to make it work for you. And this idea that we get to continue to evolve in our thinking around here. So thank you both thank um, thank for you. coming. Uh, and I really enjoyed your sisterhood. And seeing, like, kinda, I feel like I was like inside your conversations that you're having with each other all the time. So thanks. The question I'm left thinking about after our conversation about here is what would our children choose for themselves outside of the pressure, the glares, the attention, our internalized oppression around here? What would feel like freedom to them? Thank you for listening. We wish you the best of luck along your parenting journey and know that I have your back. This podcast was produced by Domino Sound. You can hear what I say, let you be loved. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.